Good morning, church. Good morning to you, those of you who are here uh, present and those who are online. We all concur, we all agree that God is love. We serve a loving and a masterful and a merciful and a kind God. And it's sad to those of the world who do not know him. We are thankful that he has blessed us with an opportunity in our lives to know him. It is good to see each of you this morning. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. A merciful Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We give unto you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We strive to use our words to lift you up. Help us, Lord God, in our hearts, in our minds this morning, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to bring glory and honor under your name, to erase our minds of worldly thought, to focus only on you and our loving Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord God, in our worship to continue in our faith, and in our hope, and our love for you and for each other. Help us never to forget Jesus, your great Son, who sacrificed his life that we might live. These things we ask and pray and thank you for, and that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would be that will. Amen. This morning's lesson, we, we have a, we'll have a meeting of the minds, if you will. Because as we study this scriptures uh, in this lesson, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I may just leave it out there and not even suggest an answer. This morning's lesson, the thought, who, who said it, as we read in the scriptures? So here's what we, we serve a God who speaks. And that may not sound like a lot to us, but when you go back and you study ancient religion and ancient history, you find that we serve a God who speaks. They did not. For our God, supreme, eternal, perfect, infinite, unchangeable, our God is a God who's alive and always has been. So there are times in the Bible that we're going to read where the Father speaks independently of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son speaks. And the Holy Spirit speaks. And there are other times when the Godhead itself speaks. So what I want us to do is just go through this lesson this morning and begin to think about, think about, who it is who's speaking to us. Now the idea this morning, in my mind, is to help us to increase our reverence to Jesus Christ. So much so to where it would not only highly offend us, but tremendously bother us when someone uses the name of the Lord in vain. But we've got to increase our our level of understanding and faith. I just want to remind you of things that I'm sure when we read these scriptures, you're going to say, I knew that. 
So this morning, if you will, come, this lesson comes to you by way of a reminder. So we'll start in Zechariah, chapter 12. Let's just read the first seven verses. And then let's answer the question, who's speaking? Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah, first in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be magnified above Judah. So we read that and we hear, Thus says the word of the Lord, the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. And you have to keep reading to try and distinguish out what the Godhead is saying to us and who's speaking. So we read verse 8. And that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about and to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me, whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Who said it? Turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. You heard in there, I assume, the hint, they will look on me whom they have pierced. Malachi 2, there's a question that is asked of God. The people were in a mass of confusion because because they were struggling in sin. And in verse 17 of Malachi chapter 2, You've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? And that you say, everyone who does evil 
is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them? Or where is the God of justice? And so that was the question. Where is the God of justice? And so God gives them the answer. You continue reading in the chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Here are two passages I wanted to just kind of start us out with. Where Jesus is speaking to people, to his people, to tell them in this passage that John the Baptist would come and prepare the way. And in Zechariah, the punishment that would come upon the people. Jesus is very active in the Old Testament. You see him over and over and over again. I'll tell you the truth. What I have found in my studies is that it's actually more difficult for me to find the Godhead separating out where the Father speaks alone. But I I can find the Holy Spirit and I can find Jesus, but I have a tougher time finding the Father himself. And what's happened over the course of years, many years, is that Every time we read, thus says the Lord, or the Lord God, the God of hosts, or, the, or God has said, sometimes we know it's the Godhead that's speaking, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Other times, though, it's not. Although they're perfectly united, right? Even though the Father may speak, or the Son may speak, or the Holy Spirit may speak independently, they are still totally united in all that's said. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 33. And I think... Actually, I'm going to Exodus, excuse me, 33. I think one of the problems is that because because mankind has maybe a difficult understanding of who Jesus is, that they, they tremendously belittle him, they tremendously blaspheme the name of our God. Let that never be said of us. Exodus 33 in verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is. A place beside me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now Jesus, turn to John, please, chapter 1. Jesus makes it clear that we understand in this passage, it is certainly the Father who is speaking to us because the Father says, no man can see me or see my face and live. And I know there's a scripture that says Moses and God spoke face to face, but that's mouth to mouth is actually the literal reading of that passage. But Jesus makes it clear in John 1 and verse 18 by saying, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So obviously, here is Jesus. 
And so here's this indication that the old law is talking about either uh, in that passage, the Father and the Holy Spirit or the Father alone. But it is the Father who is speaking or the Holy Spirit speaking, saying, no man can see me and live. But we see Jesus. Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. And then you might say, well, we go deeper into that passage and say, well, remember the word glory. And so maybe it's that you cannot see the Godhead in his full glory. But you just got to keep digging and digging. And the Bible is a very deep well. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so I wanted to show just a distinction. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 42. A distinction where uh, Jesus is speaking, where the Father or the Holy Spirit is speaking independently, and yet they're always unified in everything that they say. And so when someone asks us if we believe in, uh, I guess the word that's used is the Trinity, uh, or triune God, We believe in God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as manifested to us in the Scriptures. Verse 1, the servant. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. The coastlines will wait expectantly for his law. So the Father or the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But now I want to show you something a little bit different. I want to go back to Psalm 95 where the psalmist begins to speak by way of inspiration. And then as God has inspired the entire text or the entire Bible, you cannot always figure out whom it is that's speaking unless you go and find the mate. So every scripture has its mate. So we'll look at Psalm 95, beginning at verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as in the day of Manasseh. In the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation 
and said, They are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore my anger, they, choose me, truly, they shall not enter my rest. Who said that? Let's go to the mate. The mate is over in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. In order to understand, to know who is speaking in Psalm 95, we have to go to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll find the mate beginning at verse 7. Listen to what it says. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tried me by testing me, And saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation. And said they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. I guess what I'm trying to show you. Turn to Jeremiah please. Chapter 31. Is to get to know God. We really have to. We have to dig in the scriptures. To understand what thus saith the Lord. And then as we think about God speaking, we can say easily, well, it's God. It's the Godhead. But the, but the power of the message comes a little deeper when we really start digging and trying to discover who it is that's speaking to us and what it is that the Holy Spirit is saying or what is Jesus saying or what is the Father saying to us. Jeremiah 31 in verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Skip down, if you will, just for time's sake, to verse 34. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Let's go grab the mate. Hebrews chapter 10. And by the way, we can do this. We can do this so, you know, continue this over and over and over again. But obviously we, we can't do it today. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and I, and upon their mind. I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So does the Holy Spirit speak in the Bible? <laughs> Clearly, right? Does the Father speak in the Bible? Clearly. Does Jesus speak in the Bible? Clearly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, both in the old as well as in the new. Look at Acts 10. We'll stay in the new for just a moment. Acts chapter 10. And we will look uh, and listen to, uh, if you will, the Holy Spirit speak to us. We ask God to teach us more, to take us deeper into His Word, that we might learn to gain a deeper respect for the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as revealed to us. You know what I like to do? I like to say, when I speak of the Godhead, 
I just say, God, God, God. Not God, 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 but in a pie. God, God, God. So that we have equal reverence as God proclaims himself to us. In Acts 10, verse 19. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. The Holy Spirit speaking. Acts 13 and verse 2 on the first missionary journey. Verse 2 says, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then Philip, Acts chapter 8. Philip went out and joined himself to the chariot by the direction of whom? Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And the Holy Spirit has a warning for us. A warning that we have to heed. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says to us that we've got to be careful for our souls. Verse 1, but the Spirit expressly or explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy, liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron. It continues to speak in this direction to warn us. So what happens then in our minds when it comes to Jesus? And we, when we, you know, we think about Jesus and we don't really think, I mean, we know he's God, but how many of us really treat him as God? And when I say God, I'm talking about the Godhead, right? Co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal. God, he's God. How many of us treat him as God? How does the world treat Jesus? You think about Jesus, let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. How does the world, how does, how does that level of respect for Jesus expose itself in the minds of the world? In the minds of the world, Jesus is nothing. And we should be extremely offended and bothered when the world uses the name of our God in a blasphemous and a vain way. It should bother us. Well, I guess they don't understand. Because they don't know who he is. Or they just don't respect him. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to spend time on this, but not today. We'll come back to Exodus 3. But let me just read it to you. And then let's think about a few things. Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, 
Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So who spoke to him from the bush? God. The angel of the Lord. We'll come back to that. Deuteronomy 33. When someone says, I am seeking the favor of God. You look at Deuteronomy 33, that same thought, if you will, shows not, there's nothing new under the sun. Verse 16. And with the choice things of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let it come to the head of Joseph and to the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. The favor with Benjamin is the tribe. Joseph, the tribe. They're looking for the favor of the one who spoke, the one who's in the bush, speaking of the Exodus, in Exodus chapter, rather, Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Jesus is a lawgiver. Turn to Exodus, please, chapter 20. Hopefully you'll go back and say, I'm going to go back and look at that. Think about what uh, what the preacher is saying. Beginning in verse 1. Then God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And he goes on to talk about by showing loving kindness the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So here God is speaking and he gives the Ten Commandments, right, as we know it. My question to you, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 9, when you think about who gave the law, whenever you read in the Old Testament and you read God, we've automatically for so long, most, many of us, some of us, say, oh, well, that's the Father speaking. When you think of God, it's God, God, God. So who then gave that law to Moses? I believe without a shadow of a doubt it was Jesus who gave that law, who spoke. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Listen to what the Bible, you can go back and read all of 9, beginning at verse 15. Listen to, the, listen to what it says. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant in order that since a death has taken place for the redemption of, of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. So who died? Jesus. The one that died is the one that gave the law. 
So when you look back at the Old Testament and you start trying to think about God, and we start saying, well, you know, this was God the Father, and we put more importance on God the Father, we're missing the picture that the Bible gives us. God, God, God. Co-equal, co-substantial, and co-eternal. And you don't dishonor. We do not dishonor the Godhead. One more and then we'll, and then we'll leave. Exodus chapter 3. Back to Exodus chapter 3. And maybe, maybe next week we'll look at the, uh, we'll look at the angel of the Lord in a little more detail. Exodus 3 in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I know when you think of the Godhead, you, you think the, the whole Godhead is, is the I am. But I want you to think about what the Jews thought when they heard Jesus speak in John chapter 8. And we will begin around verse 56. John 8. So he says, I am who I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. Verse 56. Jesus is talking And in the dialogue in verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Do you think they got it? Yeah, they did. Because look at verse uh, 59. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They got it. Wait, you're calling yourself the I am? And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Now, let's take it another step. When you think about believing in Jesus... What do you actually believe about Jesus? John 8, please. In verse 24. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. How do you see Jesus in your mind? This morning, just kind of an introduction to a thought or an idea. Godhead. Who said it? Please go back and read the Word. And as you read the Word, whether we understand if it's the Father speaking or the Holy Spirit or Jesus, or, or if it's the Godhead who's speaking, we know it's the Godhead. Have reverence for what you read. Treat the Bible 
like no other book that exists in your midst. Because these are the powerful words of the great I am. The lesson this morning is yours. I pray that something was said to encourage you in your walk of faith. And this morning, as you think about the God whom we serve, the Lord who suffered and died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary for us, that our reverence this morning is held in high esteem. And if you, this morning, are not a child of God, you have not surrendered to Christ in the waters of baptism, the invitation is yours to believe his word and repent in your heart, have godly sorrow, to confess his name before men, to be baptized, immersed in water, to die in the likeness of Jesus Christ, immersed and raised to the newness of life. If you're struggling in your faith, if there's something that we can do for you, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.